Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we're back, James, for another um, feast of alien fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because, you know, it, it, it was, it, it's on a roll. Alien 1 was amazing. You know, <laughs> aliens, fantastic. Yeah. And this is Alien to the Power of Three. I mean, what could go wrong, right? I mean, I think that's what the studio was certainly thinking. <laughs> 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 it's uh it's difficult because I I don't hate this film. No. I'm going to say that t- to introduce it. I don't I don't know if we even introduced it. We're talking about Alien 3, so that was terrible yes. on my part by the way for not introducing the film. So we're doing Alien 3, um the third Alien movie in the franchise. And we've been on Alien for a while because me and James haven't been asked to do an episode. That's purely down to laziness on my part. Oh, both our parts, uh, think. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, 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 we're back with a vengeance for, for the best one. The, the, he's got the say, most numbers. <laughs> what I wanted to say was, when I looked at our, uh, I, our um, iTunes review sort of page and it says, um, it used to say uh, bi-weekly um, and then it was bi-monthly. <laughs> now it's like three times a year. <laughs> They do an episode, so it's definitely well, we can be bothered. Oh, we'll we're gonna give more back. We've got less. Yeah. we've got more time in our houses now again because the winter's setting in. So I'm sure we'll probably get yeah. more done. Uh, I've already started planning the uh, Halloween and the Christmas specials, so they're coming Ooh. soon. Uh, God, that comes around quick, doesn't it? It does, super fast. But anyway, this is Alien Three. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave Alien Three. 46%. What's really funny is in my notes app, which I'm looking at at the moment, it says minus 46. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I've made, I've made an error there. But um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe that's maybe not. <laughs> maybe I'll have to go back to their website and check. Um, 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, um, which is weird. It, it, IMDb have given it a better review and Rotten Tomatoes have kind of slated it. Anything that's in the 40s is pretty bad, right, normally? Yeah, you you don't want to be in the forties when you you know it's a big franchise film. It's not you know this isn't the first one of the the set, so you'd expect it. You know they've got a formula, they know how to work it, and they know what people who like the film want. You'd think, but then you get movies like Jaws (laughs) three, and and this film is not dissimilar to Jaws three. So um, I can't remember Jaws three, so you might have to jog my memory of that later. The monster blows up at the end. No spoilers. <laughs> um, sorry, this is me taking off my jumper in the most professional manner I could possibly muster. Uh, and I seem to have now got stuck in the jumper trying to take it off on live, live while recording. Excellent. No. Um, so, I, yeah, I thought this... Pre- it's not terrible, which is never a good thing to say about a film franchise that you like. Um, yeah. Like, you go into a third instalment and you're like... Yeah, okay, I get it. It's going to be more of the same, potentially. Who knows? So we start off on a a planet, a prison planet called Fury 171, which is a very horrible, rainy, cloudy, grim planet with a bunch of bold prisoners on it. Um, (laughs) So you kind of think, okay, they're going for a different a different thing here, maybe. And even when you read it back to yourself, and I've looked through a bunch of pre-production notes about this film just to see what, you know, where they were going with it from the off. Mm. Um, And there's a lot to read about. I mean, there's far too much than I can sum up on a podcast episode. But ultimately, they went for a third installment. They wanted to be fresh. They wanted to keep... Um, the alien films being churned out because they knew they were onto a winning formula. They they had a huge success with Cameron's uh, sequel, which they didn't expect was going to be anywhere near as good as it was. I think it's fair to yeah. say, isn't it? So yeah. sort of lightning in a bottle in that sense. With this one, they they almost felt like they wanted to change the formula, but then they just did the same thing anyway. <laughs> um, like in the beginning, she's she crashes, she, she comes out of cryostasis again. This is going to be really difficult depending on which version we talk about, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, she gets she woke woken up from cryo sleep. She's been cryo sleep for an inordinate amount of time again, and um, and everyone's dead, James. 
Yeah, any, any of the characters that you cared about that weren't Ripley uh, that survived the last film? Uh, no, they didn't. They're they're dead <clears> now, <throat> and and she has no. Yeah, she's got no one to look. No, she's got no one to look after. She's got no one to look after her. She's yeah. just on her own again. Um, but she's back where she started at the beginning of Aliens, isn't she? Yeah. It just kind of seems a bit backward to me. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's just an odd way to start a film. Like I don't know that. Um, I think the the fact that they kill Hicks and Newt off off screen. Yeah, with no emotional impact really whatsoever. Yeah, that's like a, a massive wasted opportunity. It also, yeah, it is. It, I know it really is. And also, when I've seen and read about a lot of the fan fiction that came about after um, the eighties success of Aliens, a lot of that incorporates what happened next. Aliens, sorry, with Ripley, Hicks, and Newt. And to think that they just, like you say, wasted those two characters, three characters, I guess, if you count Bishop as well. Um, mm. It's an odd one. I've I've put in my notes. It's very it's shot very well. Um, <clears throat> it feels fresh in terms of its its palette. It's got that sort of um, it's got its harsh darks and its blues, and it's got that sort of Sierra um, brown color palette going on a lot of the films. It's very David Fincher, yeah. which again we'll talk about later. Um, but there's this odd sort of thing that when you get to the end of this movie, and even going through the cast list and you, you know watching it back. It feels like a fan fiction movie that some nerds have made. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. It feels yeah, I, like I, it could conceivably. It's got a big, pretty big budget, but it's conceivably it could have been done as like a university side project film to say, "Oh, look how creative yeah. I can be when I take on something like this." I guess the only thing it, if it didn't have the alien in it, would the film work on its own entity with it being on a prison planet it could even have been a murderer going through the the prison do you know what i mean like it doesn't yeah. need to be a xenomorph so there were so many things about it that i just felt yeah they've got some really good ideas here but it just doesn't work <laughs> no it's all sort of glued together very very loosely like mm. you say and i i think you you look at I think what makes the the previous film successful is they had a story to tell, and they knew the characters really well. Yeah. And this film, what they have is a set of characters that they kill most of them off. Yeah. And that you're left with Ripley as a character, and she's the only thing that links this at all to the Alien franchise because even the Alien is slightly different here. <laughs> and and you think so you just ha- you, you knew people liked Ripley. And yeah. you made a story about that. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's... that's what I mean. Like, if you removed Sigourney, you removed the xenomorph, um, and just set it on an alien planet full of predators and murderers, it kind of has a Blade Runner feel to it. it it's very much in the universe of, of Alien and Blade Runner and those yeah. kind of movies, if you will. Like, even sort of films like Dark City and stuff. It has that grungy vibe to it, but... It didn't really need to be an alien sequel. It, it kind of doesn't need no. to be that. And like you say, the whole fact that there's just things shoehorned in, like the fact that, oh, now there's a xenomorph inside her because she was in a tube, but don't worry, all that happened off screen. You're like, oh, okay. You know, it yeah. just it felt very odd. I also put in my notes that, um, like a fan fiction movie produced by a British director on a cheap budget with an all British cast and crew. Um, <laughs> that's what I wrote because I was thinking if you just sort of made this on, I think it was made on $60 million. Um, mm. You could make this on $10 million at Pinewood and it would work. I think you just keep yeah. the keep the spaces more confined. You get rid of the grand sets. You cut the effects budget down to zero. Um you could shoot a gritty alien prison planet film, and I just think it, that's all it needed to be. But like you said, yeah, take those elements away, and what's the story to tell? There isn't one. <laughs> There's there, no there one cares it, about it's... anything. There's no stakes. <laughs> There's no stakes, and unlike like uh, the intro was really cool in that, apart from it, it killing off those characters in the intro while the credits rolled, it, <laughs> yeah, it was like you say, it was different because. Previous Alien films have started off with all these panning shots of the uh, space stations, haven't they? Mm, yeah. This didn't do any of that. This was just panning shots of those characters that we liked that they Getting didn't kill off. in a in a tube. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it they, they they then that's that's the tone of the whole film. They don't really set up 
the prison in any meaningful way. We, we're just told, here's a prison. You're in a prison. There's, yeah. there's prison yeah, things yeah, yeah. here. And it doesn't actually... There's no... Um, you don't get any concept of where they are in the prison or, or how... It, I think some mm. of the characters even work. Like, they, they say the whole thing's a basement. You know, <laughs> at one yeah. point, one of the characters <laughs> yeah. like, the whole thing's a basement. Uh, so even the characters are, are, are aware of the fact that everywhere looks the same. <laughs> and and it's really difficult to get your bearings. And I, that could be part of the storytelling, I guess. But at the same yeah. time, I'm so used to the other Alien films where you really had a good idea of where you were and, and what was going on. And yeah. in this film, and I don't know whether this is another thing you noticed, but almost all of the film is shot from really low angles. Yes, so, I've got this in my notes. Uh, it's apparently to create that sense of foreboding, claustrophobia, um, and uncomfortableness within the space. Yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. But it, it's one of those things where... Again, that that might be what gives it its student film vibe. Because mm. like, oh, that's a clever you know concept, and mm-hmm. it's cool because you know you, you you've seen things like that in uh, Kubrick films. Yeah. But all you, all you're doing if you make the whole film like that, it's the whole if everybody's special, nobody's special. Like yeah. the, the whole film feels just off. It doesn't convey a message at that point. It's just saying. We've got a really low tripod on a wheel on wheels here, <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it it stops being cool at that point when it's just a, a it's just a, a mechanic of, I, I, of how you've made the film. Yeah, and I do think to the to the effect you're talking about to the mechanics of the film that those things do work, and the things that do work and work well in the film are. The fact it's directed by David Fincher, which again, yeah, it's his sort of directorial debut of a feature film, and he um, he doesn't want anything to do with it, which is really sad because <laughs> if you go back and sift through the internet and and look at the interviews with him, he hated it. He hates the film. Yeah. He doesn't even like talking about it now. They invited him back to do a special edition cut in his own image, like to say, "This is you've got full creative freedom. You've got a, a little mini budget as well." Um, how would you like to remake Alien 3? And he said, no, <laughs> he just doesn't, he's not interested, <laughs> which I think is really Aww. sad. Um, yeah. I think that that Fincher and the cast save this movie. And I, when I say the cast, I mean, you know, principally at the centre of the core of everything that's Alien is Sigourney Weaver, of course, and she is yes. unbelievably good in this film. She's given yeah. very little to react to and al- almost very little to do but what yeah. she does is incredible and she doesn't miss a beat in it. And I think that that's credit to her as an actor that even when the chips are down and the script is shite, she can still deliver something palpable where you actually go, oh, okay, so Ripley's doing things because of this and Ripley's still that core yeah. character, that woman that I believe in. And I think there's a great sequence, um, again, going on a tangent, but where I really thought about Sigourney in that role, unlike anyone else playing a role, was when she goes into the canteen after being told not to go around the prisoners. And she bumps into Charles Dutton's character, Dylan, who says, um, and she goes, "Ah, you're making a lot of people worried around here, lady. And he's like, oh, I just wanted to say thank you or whatever. And he says, you know, I'm a murderer and a killer of women uh, and a rapist and all this. And she says, oh, I must make you feel pretty uncomfortable right now then. And then sits down. Yeah. I was like, that's a great line because it's so ripply. Um, it, and it, it just shows that she's not bothered by anything. She's faced tougher things than this because we've all seen her in the other two films. So I like that yeah. they brought that to the character and they brought her into into the role. Especially when there's that uh, attempted rape scene and she sort of batters the, the tough guy, which I also appreciated as well. Um, yeah. But we've got, you know, in this film, you've got Sigourney, we've got Charles Dance, we've got Lance Henriksen, we've got um, Charles Dutton, Ralph Brown, Pete Postlethwaite, Brian Glover. I mean, these are some good... Paul McGann, these are yeah. a lot of good British talent and American talent. Some great actors in there. Um, and there's so many people where you just look back at the cast list and you don't even realise they're in it because you just forget um, yeah. having either not watched the film in years or they just blend into the scenery sort of thing. But... Yeah, love it. I, I think I love that the, they chose this great British cast. Um, Brian Glover, I think, um, <laughs> delivers some of my favourite. Like, I've always got a soft spot for him anyway since Kez. But I think <laughs> that it, uh, 
He delivers lines in a way that no one else could, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and Postlethwaite's yeah. another actor for that. Postlethwaite, not so much got the attention on him in this film. He's very much a background character, but the, the scenes that he is in, he's very good. Oh, um, my, fav- my favourite scene in this film is a scene with Pete Postlethwaite near the end where he says, here, kitty, yeah. kitty. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get the, the alien. Yeah. Oh, oh I, um, so yeah, so he, he's great in this. Uh, like you say, that I think that this is a a a potentially great film mm. that that was just completely scuppered by its own ambition yeah. in some ways. Like it was trying too hard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think it, it it had a lot on its shoulders. I mean, apparently, it went into pre pro. Um, for a year without a script it went into production without a script um mm. it went through two or three directors i don't know if that's including fincher uh, or two prior to fincher it went through yeah. two director of photography um dops as well because they had to replace one one was in ill health so it, it went through a lot of problems um so i think the budget spiraled i mean if you consider as well this film was made on a sixty million dollar budget back in uh, in what was this year? Is it ninety two? Did I say what was it? Ninety two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Compare that to Aliens, which was made on an eighteen million dollar budget, and it's three, four times the film. Do you know what I mean? Like, God, eighteen yeah. million Cameron made Aliens, and it's blown this out of the water because the talent was there, the script was great, the filmmaker was great. Um, like you said, there's there's too much lingering on shots in this. There's too much. Maybe it's a bit like you said earlier, uh, attempting to be Kubrick in some way, whereas it just yeah. doesn't have the gravitas to be a Kubrick film. It's just not that film. Um, no, I, and you I, also I forget. It. Yeah, go on. Sorry, I was just saying. I think that's it. I think this film is like a um, like an almost good cover band. Yeah, like if, you, if you go to <laughs> yeah. a hotel. And they say that Tina Turner's performing, but you realise that they've spelt <laughs> Tina incorrectly. T E E N A. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, this this film's just got that that feel to it, where it's like, oh, I remember this bit in the other Aliens films, and this bit was good. So yeah. we're just going to do that again. And then there's so many references, like I say, that oh. I don't even know if they're like conscious references or just things that happen that are so similar to... Because uh, at the beginning of the film, I, I made reference to Jaws 3, but this really feels like a, a really schlocky version of the first Jaws film. Because the, the, the big thing about that was there's something eating these kids in the water, but no one believes them that there's a monster there. Yeah, yeah, that's And, half and that's the battle, exactly what happens here. You know, no one believes initially that there's a monster until it comes through the roof <laughs> yeah yeah it, it has to it has to be seen and the irony is these are all supposedly people have found religion <laughs> and they're, they're quite happy to believe in things that they don't see but they don't believe in the alien until they see it because uh, that ruddy be... woman's going mad telling all them lies james Oh gosh, yeah. That... <laughs> I also thought this film doesn't do a great um, job for diversity. Um, uh, it's got one female character and one black man in it. <laughs> Everyone else is white and mainly British. <laughs> I also I put there's some really shit things that I've put notes down, but I, I'm going to say them anyway. Um, I put question. How much alcohol does Charles Dance use to wipe Ripley's arm in this scene? And this is when he's about to... Be, do you know the bit that I mean? When yeah. he's going to inject her the first time, he wipes the, the point on her uh, her wrist, on her, on her arm, to put the injection mm. in. He just saturates her with ethanol. It looks ridiculous. Like, is he supposed to be a doctor? Yeah. So, yeah, that well, I mean, me. I, he's not a great doctor. I mean, he did get, like, banned from doctoring. He got struck off, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what was the other bit in that that scene that I it was just after that scene actually when they, they they've started to get to know one another. Well, this is and, the thing that you're right though they do that they try to get you invested in each different character. Uh, consequently, the the extended version does a better job of that anyway. But we'll talk about okay. that later. But Inter- um, yeah, I actually just on that point. Yeah, in the extended one, yeah. is the Ripley line? Are you attracted to me? So out of left field, is it? Is it? Because I watched what I assume is the theatrical, theatrical yeah, cut. On no, Disney. it still is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's just so out of left field. It's like, <laughs> where did that come from? 
And uh, that just, it didn't feel connected to anything. It wasn't, it was just, are you attracted to me? It was like, okay. There are are more scenes where they interact prior to that, which makes Ah. me feel like he does fancy her, but he's trying to maintain a professional barrier. But I think they cut a lot of that out, including like a lot of the... um, prisoners uh what's the one at the end that dies i can't remember his name now but anyway the one that doesn't die sorry the one that gets shot he Mm. he's given a bit of a backstory they all have a bit of backstory in the canteen as well before we jump ahead so that helps really uh, helps a lot um yeah but you're right yeah that does come out of left field but then back to your point about knowing what kind of movie you're gonna be they do this poetic and prophetic first hour let's say maybe hour 15 i can't remember the timeline and then after the alien arrives in the medic bay and decapitates charles dance um it just goes off the rails um like literally like they've just gone we haven't seen the alien in a while no fuck yeah forgot about that (laughs) yeah quick james write it in (laughs) it's gonna come down to the medic bay and happy slap charles dance That's it. Just... He goes for goes for Charles Dance behind the curtain when there's the other guy who's completely unable to defend himself. In a straight jacket, 100%. And doesn't go for that guy. And then goes for Ellen Ripley, but then doesn't kill Ripley because of the alien that's in her belly, in her chest. I also felt, and, I, and again, I'm picking it apart because me, I love doing this with you, but I don't understand why we gave away the... The ending. Did you know what I mean? Like, why? Yeah. Why did they give away the fact that she has an alien inside her chest and it's a queen? I don't understand why we needed to know that so quickly in the story. It happened so early I, on, and it did. And how does she, how does she know it's a queen? Because again, I was watching that because you, you see it on like the CT scan, don't you? It's a yeah. little video image of it, and it's freeze framed. There was nothing there to say other than it was a xenomorph of some sort. But how does she know it was a queen? God knows. It It just felt disjointed, doesn't it? It just doesn't make sense either. If you're going to have that as the your crescendo, and potentially, I know we're going to go through this anyway, but the the last Alien film, which it could well have been at that point. Mm. Yeah. Why would you? And why? Why do that? And why give it away so early on? I just didn't understand. It sort of took all of the, oh, so she's going to die at the end and she's either going to die by her own hand or she's going to die giving birth to the alien. Do you know what I mean? It sort of yeah. ruined the ending for me. And I and I watched it back a couple of times before we did the podcast. I've watched the extended version as well, which we'll <laughs> talk about. It, I, I still can't get my head around giving away all your ideas in the middle of the story. And also that bit with the CT scan and the, uh, the dumb assistant, it it completely slows the movie down to a stop. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, we're supposed to be entering the third act here, dude. This is supposed to be the final act. You've just yeah. ruined, you just slowed this film down to a crawl. You stalled it. It's so badly paced at that point. I think um, pacing yeah. is its biggest problem uh, yeah. all, all the way through the film. And uh, in previous films where that you know a time has been set, and yeah. we talked about this in the last last episode where a time is set, and the actual timer is is real world time in the film, yeah. and you feel that pressure building. Here, there's a message on a computer that says that the rescue team will be two hours away, and. You look at the time left on the film, and there's like 20 minutes left on the film. So yeah. you know this is all going to get condensed down. Yeah. So all this time just just ebbs away without it having any real impact, and the uh, the, the film just loses itself constantly. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, there's some really weird choices of like bits to do in slow motion that I don't think were filmed in slow motion. Yeah, no. you know, usually when you film something in slow motion, you have to have extra frames to to slow it down to be able to to make it happen. But these some of these slow motion, yeah, because if you slow it filmed... down in in twenty four frames, it just looks like jarring, doesn't it? Yeah, and and some of the slow mo bits look like that. Yeah, I, there were there were bits where um, at the funeral scene where uh, Dylan is is preaching. Mm. And the the aliens being born somewhere else or, or in the prison. We don't know where because we don't know what 
size shape this prison takes. So we've got no no concept of where that's happening. <laughs> but th- there's bits where his his dialogue uh, is showing his lips moving, but it looks like it's slightly in slow motion as well. And it's like yeah. this doesn't feel like it's in sync at all. And it just again screams of like student indie film, not yeah. big budget alien film. I'm going to ask you a quick so question, James. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a quick question about that alien. Um, what animal does the alien burst free from in Alien 3? It's a, it's a dog. It's a dog. Well, James, <laughs> it's only a dog if you watch the theatrical version of the movie. Oh, no. In that the extended boy. Literally, in the extended version, which is the 2003, uh, affectionately named Assembly Cut, um, because they weren't allowed to call it the director's cut because the director didn't want anything to do with it, (laughs) Uh, which is always good, isn't it? Um, The 2003 Assembly Cut, it is an ox or a a cow, like a big big, um, animal that it goes in. Um, it oh. gestates him. Uh, I think it's a bull. Let me just have a look does, at my notes. Does, does that make the film better? Uh, no, it makes no difference <laughs> apart from it's a bit more graphic. And then there's like an abattoir scene where it's it, they clean up the... It's basically an animal they're going to eat, but it's already been eaten from the inside. It's very odd. Oh. Um, I'm going to have a look yeah. now. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how... I mean, the, the, the xenomorph looks the same, I guess, the rest of yeah. the film, does it? Yes, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, and it, it, there's a bit of an extended bit where you see the xenomorph wriggle free, shake all the blood off itself, and then runs off. And that does look pretty cool because it's the proper CGI improved shot of the xenomorph, um, oh, okay. which looks better than any version of the xenomorph in that movie because the visual effects are are pretty poor in this movie. Uh, if I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, apparently that was the original vision for the film. Was it bursting out of this ox? Um, body and hmm. it, and it wipes itself off and then runs off down the uh, down the ship. Uh, there's also a scene at the beginning of the movie um, which is slightly different. Uh, they don't just find her in a pod. Um, they do find the remains of Hicks and Newt's pods, but they find um, that Ripley washes up on the beach. So at the beginning of the movie, um, oh. the Charles Dance character is is walking the shore of this deserted and um, you know sort of. It's almost a bit like Planet of the Apes. It's sort of a, a desolate yeah. beach with debris and detritus everywhere. And among the detritus is this body of this woman covered in what looks like tar. And he turns her over and it's Ripley and she's alive. And he carries her up the beach into the facility. And the shots are amazing. I mean, it does look brilliant. It does look well, very that, iconic. So the fact that they that cut all of that... makes more sense. Mm, it's so bad when you think, why cut that? It's such a great, amazing like stretched shot of Charles Dance carrying her yeah. across a beach with his big cloak on. And it's uh, it's very iconic. Yeah, very iconic, but yeah. gone. No, that 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 scene makes more sense than mm. later in the film because when they do stick her on the table initially, she's covered in tar. Uh-huh. Mm. E- even in the theatrical one, which... Yeah, because she washes up on a I beach know. inside the tar, yeah. She's covered in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't understand that because as far as I was concerned, they found her in a pod and every time she's come out of that pod in all the other films, it's been white clothing and she's been completely fine. Yeah. It's mad, so, isn't it? Yeah. The theatrical cut makes very little sense. Um, it, it does. And then at the end, um, I'll just read you this extract that I found on, uh, I think it's on Den of Geek. Uh, as originally planned, Ripley's fall into the furnace of molten lead um, was not accompanied by a chest burster erupting out of her torso. This was a detail added to in the extensive reshoots which took place in Hollywood through late 1991. Uh, the oh. filming was so extensive that a special bald cap was created for Sigourney Weaver. Since her shaved hair had long since begun to grow back, they reshot all these scenes and added the addition of a chest burster um, blowing out of her chest as she fell into the... Um, into the lead. The assembly cut removes the chest burster again um, and there's a rushed fire edit in the background that still remains there. But yeah, so originally she was just going to fall like Jesus with her arms outstretched like a crucifix yeah. into the lead as a sacrifice while um, Lance Herrickson shouts, No! <laughs> Which is one of the most iconic no's since Darth Vader, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely uh, uh, up there with the with the nose. Yeah, that chest burster scene um, tacked on. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, and you you can kind of tell because the the little queenie, bless her, mm. 
just sticks her arms out and wiggles them a bit. <laughs> and then Sigourney kind of hugs it all the way down. To um, make sure like it doesn't it, jump, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of anticlimactic. Yeah. It's... When you consider the, <laughs> I don't know, the 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 whole run-up to the end of that, that film, uh, you compare it to, say, you know, the, the the scene in the second film with the loader fighting the queen, kind of yeah. cool, right? In this film, we get Sigourney hitting um, a rubbery alien with what looks like a fire stick torchy thing. Mm. Uh, and she's just sort of ineffectively sort of waggling it in front of the alien. <laughs> I don't know what she's trying to achieve because she knows that thing's got acid for blood. I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> no. Um, and, and then they sort of accidentally happen on the idea of if if she gets pulled away, the alien will think she's under attack and come and save her. And they don't know. I don't know how they figure that out, or if they just if it just accidentally happens that way. I don't know. Yeah, but there's a, there's a it, lot about the final act that makes no sense. As I said to you yeah. earlier, though, it, it for me it completely goes off the rails when um um. What's his name? I've completely gone blank there. When Brian Glover's character um, yeah. gets lifted up into the, uh, presumably an air duct. It's like the only bit of open space above him in the canteen. Yeah. Uh, and then loads of blood just drips onto the floor and they all go, what the fuck? And then the next scene, literally the next cut, is a man with a mop cleaning the blood whilst looking precariously up at the ceiling in case it comes back down and gets him. <laughs> which which is, is almost like something you get in a in a slapstick comedy film. I mean, it's just, just absurd. So I just, oh, it, after that, I was like, I'm done. After Charles Dance bit, gets decapitated, I'm kind of like, oh, this film's just not having it, is it? No, it's a, it's a big tonal shift. It sort of, then they start looking for ways they can defeat the alien and they ask, you know, and Sigourney's like, oh, have you got any guns, maybe? Or, you know, anything to fight this mm. alien with? Because, you know, previously we had Marines. They were really handy. Have you got anything like that? And and they all look at her really confused and say, well, no. Um, we, we've got some knives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love and the, fire. I love the, you know, knives and fire we can do. And and then it becomes home alone. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> all of <a> sudden they, <laughs> They start setting this prison up with traps for the alien, and the alien's having none of it and just eats one of them. <laughs> it's it's oh, uh, it's just bad. It's a bad ending. Um, apparently, when they'd wrapped shooting, um, Fincher basically threw the reel at the edit room and just said "crack on" and didn't want anything to do with it. Um, they say that his experience working with the studio to get what they wanted to the screen was so poor. And the vision got lost so many times um, that he just gave up on the film, which is why he doesn't like talking about it now. They even built right. sets for a film that never happened. So apparently, originally, they built these wooden sets that, where they wanted it to be about monks in some sort of wooden monastery uh, in space right. where the alien ends up gestating inside an animal. And, and so another kind of version of what we got, unlike yeah. it being prisoners that are fundamentalist Christian, uh, it... It completely different and apparently they'd already started building sets for it and one day someone came in from the studio and just said that's not happening anymore knock all that down and that was a few million quid gone um so just loads of things like that um i just thinking what else have i got i've got um yeah they burn the alien uh slightly different from the last two films where they sucked it out into space so that was a bit fresh i suppose yeah um and then we get the final scene with lance Henriksen and um Henriksen and uh, Ripley, but it's not Bishop James. It's the man that made Bishop, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah, man that made Bishop. No, because I I half expected when I first watched it that it would be um, Wayland, but mm. I don't think he says he's Wayland. He just says I made Bishop. I, I you know, and that that's who that's as far as much information as we get. Yeah, isn't he, he is Wayland in the Alien versus Predator film, isn't he? I think. Yeah. Now those films aren't canon. No, at all, I know apparently. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, he is Wayland in those films. So, I, I again, I, I when I was going back to, it, I was like, oh, is it, is it Wayland? And it's, it's not Wayland. It's just some guy that says you need to trust me. And I, after the previous three films, where that company is just after the alien, why would Ripley yeah. trust them? <laughs> you know, it just seems daft. Um, and when when they do 
pour the molten lead on the alien towards the end, there's this weird sort of uplifting musical score that happens. Mm. And it's it's almost in the sort of triumphant John Williams Superman type of feel. Yeah. But it's in an alien film. And that, again, is completely weird because on every other alien film we've watched, albeit only two of them so far, but on all those other alien films, the death of the alien is usually met with sort of calm, serenity, silence. Yeah. And this is really bombastic, loud music. Ah, we did a good job. We killed the alien. Um, I, I, it just feels like it's a, a very different film. It doesn't feel like it's part of this the same franchise no it is it's very bizarre i did uh, funnily enough when you mentioned the score um the score is one of the few things i really did like about it um i like yes. the big brass noise and i liked the um i like that running theme that they've got which i think kicks in in the end credits it certainly kicks in at the beginning of the film when charles dance carries her off the beach and it's like mm. um it's almost like a sort of an x-men theme or something it's it's pretty epic and upbeat and fast-paced which is totally different to the melodic music we've got in the other ones um and then yeah. the huge james horner score we got in aliens um yeah. toward the end which I, is again another masterpiece soundtrack from a film i mean the the, the the sound in general in this film is excellent but just the even it's uh, like all the foley sound effects mm. you know everything creaks you know every leathery thing in there creaks and uh, chairs are, are squeaky you know but it's really up in the mix, you can really hear it, and I think mm. that's that's in some way a throwback to the first Alien film because yeah. it felt very similar to that. Where because everything was really tight and uh, claustrophobic, those sounds would feel really loud. Uh, so that added to that claustrophobia, that that feeling of everything being so uh, close, and uh, you, there's there's not much echo no. in this film. It, everything feels like you're in a little room talking with, amongst two or three people and you can hear every little thing that creaks and, and moves. And it, it, I like that part of it as well. The sound was good. Uh, CGI we've mentioned uh, on the Alien, not so not <laughs> so great. But they used, I believe it, it looks like they still used um, miniatures for the spaceships, you know, when you see the spaceships yeah. approaching and things like that. So they still fit in this universe really well. And the bits where it's an, uh, the aliens are uh, an actor in a suit, they look good as well. Hmm. So it's it's just odd little bits that throw you out of that experience. But there's enough of all these little things to throw you out of the experience. I think that's where the film fails because it you don't feel like like the, the the first film. You feel like you're stuck on a spaceship with this alien. Yeah. I don't feel like we're stuck on this prison with the alien. It, it's because I've got no concept of how big the prison is. Yeah, that's, a, that's so, a really good point. Like Ridley does that really well in the first Alien by showing you the layout of the ship prior to anything actually happening. You just have those sweeping shots of the yeah. ship. And I think we're going to talk about those again when we get to Prometheus because there's another example of that in Prometheus. But yeah, like you say, just knowing the size, shape, dimensions and whereabouts of your characters, um, it can add so much to a movie and oh, yeah. it is I, such I mean, a big thing that people lose sight of. Um, you know, there's films where... I mean, we've done the Harry Potter films and stuff like that where they have to do these sweeping establishing shots or they have to zoom into a part of a castle so at least we know where they are in Hogwarts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Death yeah. Star, Star Wars, similar thing. You just have to give us a little bit of establishing. But because there's no establishing in this film, it's just you're underground, everything's underground. You're like, oh, okay. So it literally could be in a bunker in Norwich. <laughs> I don't know where this is. It, it's so tricky, isn't it? And yeah. it, it it doesn't help like the, the bit near the end where they're running through the maze and shutting the doors. Mm. I yeah. just, I got turned around and so confused there that it wasn't a, a good sort of turned around and confused because I can understand that they're all getting a bit lost in the maze as well. But I got lost as a viewer to the point where I was kind of turned off. Yeah, and I, I, I just like oh, run, 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 close door, run, <clears throat> run, run, close door. While I wasn't while, paying yeah. any attention. While we're nitpicking on that as well, like there wasn't a whole lot of alien in this film. I realised, and this is after watching it the third time for for the podcast, and I and I watched it before, but then obviously me and you didn't record. But um, yeah, for watching it for today, 
it's not in it a lot. There's not a great deal uh, of it. And the most iconic and most used shot, I think it's used in all the publishing material, promotional material that's used in the trailer. It's even used in the special edition um, box set is the shot where Ripley's recoiling and the alien's coming in from the side and it's like drooling yeah. all over her. And it's the bit where the alien decides not to kill her but to, to let her live because it's she's gestating. Um, the Queen, but you just think, yeah, there's not a lot of alien action in this film. So, like you were saying about Jaws, there's sort of a threshold that needs to be met if you're ticking boxes for these yeah. kind of pictures. And I think that they, there's just there's so much establishing what then doesn't become a very interesting character formula or character development. It, it's not interesting enough. And then add to that an alien xenomorph that you barely see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hardly in there and it's I don't know, they they that they almost try and get I mean? away with it. They yeah. try and get away with it, don't they, by saying, aha, but yeah. Ripley has one in her the whole time that you didn't know about and you think, well, that doesn't mean anything. No. And it doesn't it doesn't impact the story massively. I mean it, it lets you get away with basically doing a Judgment, you know, Terminator Two, Judgment Day at the end. Yeah, and again, right. that, that's a scene I've yeah. already seen, and I'm I'm fine with the one we've got where Arnie burns himself. Yeah, you know, I didn't need to see Ripley burn herself, but you know, that's what we got, and I, nothing, nothing hits, nothing no. hits hard. No, nothing really sticks. They threw a lot at the wall, but not a lot stuck. And I think that's hmm. about all you can say about Alien Three. Um, it. It had potential, and it does have the spectacle, and it's beautiful to look at. But it, mm. underneath that, it has very little substance to its style, and I think that that shows in the reviews. and And it's it's you know watching it back after it being around thirty years. Um, God, it's mad to think that was thirty years ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like saying it. Um, like that when you say oh it's when was alien 3 made oh it was made 30 years ago this year um but yeah i looked at the reviews ahead of resurrection which is the next one we're going to be doing and resurrection's got better reviews than than this one but i've not seen it for a long time one thing we were going to talk about which well i said to you earlier where the director kind of walked away due to the studio interference was was david fincher uh, this mirrors a similar thing that happened with the Avengers films and Joss Whedon. And I was thinking about Joss mm. Whedon, uh, thinking about Fincher and studio interference and how directors sort of throw their toys out the pram. And um, and then I realised Whedon actually wrote the next one. So we're going to be watching a Whedon-written Alien Resurrection next, which is weird. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? It's, it's all, all so interlinked, is Hollywood. He seems to have a finger in every franchise pie in the world, doesn't he? Almost, do you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not not a Joss Whedon fan. Um, like there are things that I I find annoying about him and some of his productions, and I'm not always. I don't agree with his politics. Let's put it that way. If you if you you know, but I don't. Yeah, I think that he's he's had some really good hits, and then you think, then he wrote such. Garbage as well. You know, there's there's like a generational thing because I I always put Whedon up there with say like uh, in terms of the generation that came up in. So it'd be like mm. Whedon, Tarantino, Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're 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 all of a similar ilk in terms of the way they write. In ter- they're all very good at like fourth wall breaking, giving a wink to the audience, going. Yeah. I know films too because they're you big know. fans of films, aren't they? Generally, yeah, they're like yeah. us. And so they're like us. So they've they've all got that aspect to it. And I think what that leads to is every single one of them has a like a an Avengers, a Buffy the Vampire, a a, a, a Kill Bill, uh, or um, a, a Clerks in them, mm. and then everything else seems to fall apart. <laughs> They yeah. seem to have like that one, yeah. that one film where everyone goes, "Oh wow, that's really fresh and interesting," and then they just repeat themselves. <laughs> so it's it's sort of that they're not like say, I I don't necessarily see any of the films that Kevin Smith's done as as risk taking because they're they're all Kevin Smith films, um, and, and Joss Whedon's yeah. kind of similar in that respect. They're not risk taking, whereas 
Spielberg will do completely different films, sometimes in the same year. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, he did Schindler's uh, so, List and Jurassic Park in the same year. <laughs> yeah, mad in it, <laughs> bonkers, absolutely bonkers. But anyway, back back to yeah. Aliens: The Power of Three. Um, <laughs> I, Is that because of the little three in the corner? <laughs> That's because the little three in the corner. It's how it's written on IMDb it, as well, that, which I quite like. Would that like. be Alien Cubed? <laughs> <laughs> is that what I mean, three? I don't know. I can't. I'm not very good at this. Is that? Is that I, what it looks I, like? I think. I think two would be cubed. Would it not be? Anyway, well, we're, squared, we're displaying isn't it? how. <laughs> oh, that's squared. Yeah. Oh gosh, we're displaying how much the British educational systems failed us. Um, may, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be criticizing films because we don't know maths. Uh, but the, the, this film um, promises with that three yeah. that there'll be a bit, there'll be more than one alien. You'd hope. I mean, we've done the one alien. That, yeah, that was we did fun. it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then we did lots of aliens. We, I think, I went into this film when it was when I first saw it. I went in hoping for more, and what I got was just the same film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and just a different version of Alien made by a fan. Yeah. Essentially made by a fan of Ridley Scott. And it doesn't really work. And like you say, the story's not strong enough. The characters in the theatrical version are giving very little to do and very little development. Uh, it adds up to a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I, it just seems very, very strange that... that Obviously, there's a lot of sort of... Um, interference with the the way the films were made I, again i don't think it'd be yeah. something we could even cover in, in in a single podcast episode because there were so many different versions of this film that were planned and then ca- canned and then mm. they we, we we got what we got at the end of the day and it's just it, it it doesn't stand up to the previous film or the original you know that the, they're very much classics in their own right, and yeah. this it, this isn't. It doesn't even reach so bad it's good kind of territory. No, it needs cause... to be much worse for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you Tune got... in for next week with Alien and Resurrection. <laughs> 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 we'll get that one. That's coming soon. This feature uh, is just my favourite line in the movie. I don't know if you've thought of one. I've got one, and I wonder if whether you might think it's the same one as what you'd have thought. Um, this is a line delivered by um, by Brian Glover, and uh, I was going to record it, but I haven't. It's basically, <laughs> it kills on sight and is generally very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. Um, if anyone listening to this finds that funny, it's great because I've just wasted like 10 minutes of James's time trying to find that line um, <laughs> while we cut the podcast off. That's great. But yeah, no, I thought that was a good line. I, I, I too like that line. Um, Matt, I've got two two favourite lines in the film. Um, Go on. The first one we've already discussed is possibly uh, <laughs> saying, here, kitty, kitty. I thought it was going to be that. <laughs> which is yeah. it's just, it has me in stitches. And then the other one, which is unusual humour for an alien film, was, uh, how do you know my name? It's stenciled in the back of your shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I didn't so, understand that either. It was, was weird. Like, what is that in this film? I mean, that's like a Guardians of the Galaxy sort of humour there. Exactly, but it, but in a film that's not meant to be funny. Which yeah. Which is really strange. Very oh, odd. gosh. Anyway, it, This was well, a mixed bag. To, it to, was a to, mixed bag. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's funny when we review shit films, and then other times we both just get annoyed with how bad the film is that we can't get past it. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully next week's one will be a shit film that we find excruciatingly funny. So I'm going to look for more things in the next Alien film. Yes, uh, I'm. 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 It can only go up from here, really. Yeah. Because yeah. It can. After that, we get back to Ridley's versions of Aliens, and I'm looking. Oh, yeah, I'm Christ. not looking forward to that, Jake. We've got two more <laughs> Ridley versions to go, haven't we? After uh, Alien Resurrection, right? Yeah. I'm going to leave it there. It was nice talking to you, James, as always, and we will always. be back uh, sooner rather than later with Alien Four, Alien Resurrection. Yes. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. Take care. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye.